1: All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. And today we have, again, uh, Paul Young and Brad Jerzak to talk this time about a new book that they have co-authored, The Pastor, A Crisis. Welcome back, Paul and Brad.
2: Thank you. Great to be with you.
1: You know, I was thinking about um, your books, Take Me Through the Ringer, uh, The Shack. Uh, the Shack took me definitely took me through a ringer. And now you've worked together to take me through another Another ringer. And I was thinking about this book is one of the things I was thinking about it is the main character. You can't get away from him. I mean, you are strapped in with this guy all the way through the through the character going through the going through everything that happens to him. You know, it's a, you feel in a way kind of like it's happening to you the way it was all it starts out looking like it's happening to somebody else. But the, the further you get into it, the more you feel like you're inside this character.
2: Yeah, that's a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's that's how
2: my life is. You know, like uh, <laughs> I can't get away from me. You know, but sometimes when <clears throat> when you get to see it and and experience being inside of a of a character, for example, it's really helpful. It's there. There's a sense of of proper separation from you and you know, because self refer self referential incoherence runs rampant. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. when
2: when when you're trying to figure yourself out just with yourself, it's not an easy journey <laughs> and that's usually wrong. Yeah. But when you get to yeah. see it in a book or something or, well, know, I heard then, a
1: par- I, I heard stage. a parable, I heard a parable described one time as a story you think is about somebody else, but then all of a sudden you hear the door slamming behind you.
2: Yeah, that's good.
1: You know, so this, this, this has a way of, of, of bringing you, uh, of bringing you into the, of bringing you into the, into the narrative. And, and it, and boy, does this book get off to a roaring start. We're in church. We're in church. And then all of a sudden something pretty spectacular happens in church. Can can you tell us about this opening scene? And it's, you know it's a, it's it, your
2: it's your basic meltdown.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's the most spectacular meltdown in church I've ever heard described. So yeah, tell us about tell me tell us about this. Well, I can say that um you know
3: actually the first few pages you already have this this fellow in the aftermath of the meltdown and then and then we flash back to what what caused it and and so he's he's preaching his standard fundamentalist sermon probably strutting the stage and then someone walks in who absolutely triggers him and when i say triggers him i mean unearths all his Uh, fears and exposes, exposes a a whole, a whole backstory must have, must have occurred to lead him to, to begin absolutely freaking out. And it Mm -hmm. is really a, a traumatic moment, probably for all the witnesses too, because he comes unglued
2: and exposure is, I think the right word and she doesn't have to do anything. It's just her presence.
3: yeah. You know what? It, it reminds me of an event, it, only in terms of the freak out, but an event that happened at our youth group one time. A young man had told me um, he'd been reading the scriptures and he had read the psalm where it says, um, those who look to the Lord will be radiant and shame will never cover their face. And uh, he said, I, I feel like it might come in handy tonight at some point. And so, you know, we did the worship time, nothing, teaching time, nothing, little prayer time after I went off to a room to pray for somebody. And then the guy came back in. He said, we need your help. There's a girl in here who's struggling. So I went over to back to the youth group and and uh, she's sitting there looking very, very troubled. And I and then I, I just said, uh, you know, those who look to the Lord will be radiant and shame will never cover their face. And the color of her face absolutely changed. She went like death white and then a bit blue and she started tearing open the top of her shirt and was scratching at her throat and Mm. her neck and her chest. And I'm like, Whoa, what's going on here? And it was a triggering moment. And you know, happily the, the, the the fast forward in that story story is she left radiant and i saw her years later she was still radiant but it was like that with this guy this this pastor uh i think the the triggering when it exposed something suddenly i mean he just has a a meltdown where we see him scratching and tugging it well he goes much further and he's
1: tugging his clothes right off and and pretty soon we end up in a, um, in a place where you, you don't know if God would follow you there or not. I mean, if you, I remember um, one time in my own process, I remember I was praying to God and I said, uh, uh, you know, God, I'm doing pretty good right now. I'm even a minister, but, you know, nothing really terrible has ever happened to me. My buttons have never really, really been pushed. But what if something happened?" and it destroyed me. And, and I had a complete and total meltdown. Then what, you know, then what would happen? And uh, you, and we, you know, when you go into ministry, you think, uh, I mean, it's bad enough to come to Christ and fail just as a regular follower. But the worst of all would be to come as a minister and to fall then from that perch, you know, to, to, to fall and then to fall publicly, into total humiliation and shame, and that's where this guy lands, in the, in the mental, in, in the mental ward, and then so then we go there together through all of his evaluations and everything, and that, you, the way that you, there's a there's a way that you even show us the intake forms and the process of going into even a catatonic state. How, did you did you have to research all of that and how that would really happen in a mental mental institution? Well, we've we've both known some
3: people who've been through that process themselves. So part of the research was <laughs> hearing their stories, right? And yeah. then those are actual intake forms we used. Uh, and and uh, Paul, what what can we say
2: about the folks whose stories look like that? Man, I've, I've got a good friend who had some kind of a chemical reaction to um, to prescription drugs that that dumped him into um, the, you know, behind, behind bars locked up. And, and he, he, you know, climbed the walls of euphoria and then fell into the depths of, of the darkness. And so we've seen that, but but it raises up this great question. I was just thinking about this, Brad, and I want to ask you, how, how do we define mental illness? I mean, at what point does mental illness occur? And as I thought about that, I'm thinking like, when you start to become a liar, you know, is it, isn't that a form of mental illness? And when you start to create imaginations that don't exist and live according to them, isn't that also a form of mental illness? What do you think?
3: Yeah. You know, I, of course, I don't want to, I, I would want to delineate between those who have uh, biologically rooted or, or chemically rooted, or even um, deeply experientially traumatic, 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 root. and, and, and then even what we may have inherited in our DNA, but among the mental illnesses, certainly what you're talking about must be part of that, right? you, you, when you create inner splits, I mean, some of that's even involuntary. But to the degree that it's voluntary, you're right. I, I went off the latch by lying to myself and convincing myself, you know. Yeah. That's the angel's um, harps playing in the back there. <laughs> yeah, that's Kim.
2: That's Kim. She's
3: she's my angel. I rest my case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 versions of that could include. Like denial, but then also when my walls of denial start crumbling. Yep. And that's what happens for this guy. He'd built up layers and layers of denial, including his his approach to faith. And and in one moment, seeing a specter from his past ends up tumbling those walls down. And, and yeah, he descends into hell. And, in, and part of it for him, too, is self-will. You know, and how he actually can't get better apart from melting down. It's yeah. part of his healing process. Well there's one this... of the
1: there's one of the parts in the book where he's doing the intake and he's asked where he is. You remember the answer that he gives? Do tell. Gehenna. Mm. Hades. You know, he talks Sheol, the place of the Sheol, yeah Yeah. he that he is and so in a a way uh he doesn't just he 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 is he understands himself to be in hell
2: yeah you know there's this great line that religious people believe in hell but spiritual people have been there and yeah it's it's really talks about the value of exposure in our lives as much as we we really run from exposure because of the, the mountains of shame and fear that are associated with it it's absolutely essential in terms of the unexposed being the unhealed and uh, but the process is 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 a terrifying fire is what it is it is right.
3: fiery yeah you know we could even say that the alienation and and other torments that he's experience, experiencing um, it's not that he's using those as a me- hell as a metaphor for those. It's the it's the reverse, or mm-hmm. you know, like that is the actual hell, and then fiery flames as the metaphor. You know, right. that's great. That's I know in my experiences with being confronted with exposure and and shame, I I would get a a, a flaming hot face and and pinpricks all over my face as as this flush of heat would pass through I'm like what is that right but it was it was um either the i think it was the shame coming to the very surface mm-hmm. and once it but see once it surfaces then it can come off typically we've used methods to keep it repressed and hidden even from ourselves and as, un, as unpleasant as it is to have demons leave you know, if you know what I mean, <laughs> um, the leaving is good. It just—I wish it were more gentle. But even when you see in stories in the Gospels, even when Christ drives out demons, sometimes they go with convulsions and shrieking. Well, that's yeah. that not describes always. not always, yeah. but that describes that des- <clears throat> thats not about that's not about a Stephen
2: King exorcism. That's that's about emotions and denials and, you know, damage and trauma. You know, I was the other day, I was talking to a bunch of folks about silver and and I and someone in my journeys gave me um, pure silver. They gave me, you know, silver that had been just just a little pile of it, maybe ten bucks worth. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but um, but it was it was silver that had been refined. Yeah. And he also gave me a little block of um, sterling silver. Right. Hmm. And I'm looking at these two and frankly, the real silver is not very pretty. It's it's ugly compared to the sterling silver. And he says, he says, so if I if I came up to you and said, here's some silver, which would you take? And your immediate your draw is to the sterling silver. And he says, do you know why it's so pretty? And I, I said, why? He said, because it's full of impurities. And that's, that's what shines is all the impurities because so that's what you present to somebody, you present all the brokenness of your life, but you've got it, you've got it looking like a nice shiny bar of silver and, and he, and so I started thinking about that and I was thinking, you know, how many of us um, present ourselves in a very attractive way, but it's not authentic at all, right? but we're a nice shiny bar of silver. And then the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, I've got this, I've got this prayer that I'd like you to pray with me. Um, let's see, let's pray for that. Why do you pray that you want to be an authentic human being? Like you want to be whole, pray that. And, <laughs> and you go like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good prayer. And And all you're doing is giving permission for exposure. Yeah. So it's like, you start that prayer and all of a sudden the fire comes into your life and starts melting your nice shiny bar of silver. And, and as, as it melts, the impurities start coming to the surface. When, when you're in the midst of this kind of a transformational exposure, I'm telling you all kinds of crap can come to the surface and the heat in your life starts to melt other people's nice shiny bars of sterling silver. And pretty soon people are going like, no, I, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with this. You know, I don't want to be close to it because your crap and what you're going through is starting to melt down and my crap's coming to the surface. Right. And instead of in the community of faith, we have the opportunity when the fire comes and that those impurities rise to the surface. Confess your faults, your hurts, one to another. Pray for one another that you can be healed. Mm-hmm. That's the skimming of all the impurities off the surface.
1: Well, one of and- the characters, one of the characters in the book that I really uh, appreciated is uh, the Doctor Angelica Hope. Mm-hmm. You know, and she is such a graceful presence to this man. You know, all of his defenses are up, and just a very gentle way that she begins to uh, interact with him is really, uh, is really interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to that character or maybe, you know, we're not gonna give the book away, but there was something, there's some role that she is, she, she, just the way that she treats him is so healing. Well, she is a pretty great physician hmm yeah no hints there <laughs> <laughs>
3: she, she's actually not a jesus figure but in a sense right she's in a sense she's channeling the great physician it, <clears throat> it's gentle on the one hand i mean it's, it's like tough. when i talk it's like when i talk to paul young right it's he's very gentle but he i'm not gonna i'm he will not um uh enter into a codependent relationship with my denial there's like i'm he loves me too much right so i I think i think she
1: can be tough with him gentle words but
3: um she's
2: not buying into his stuff that's it that's it
1: right she doesn't but she doesn't crush him no no yeah she's not
2: she's not there to be superior to him She's She's actually there to help.
1: She really sort of submits to him in in a way by coming to him kind of in a low position, by recognizing his uh, stature. And, you know, she she doesn't just demean him. I guess I'll put it that way.
2: You could say that she washes his feet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's expecting he's expecting somebody to come in and to not respect him and he and she actually comes in and respects him and she even asks him for help with another patient who was there she sort of appeals to him and says you know as a matter of fact you've got all this training maybe you can help me we we've got this we've got this other person that's come in I'd like you to I'd like you to take a look at and I think that's that's when we meet the Jackie character is that correct that's right yeah so uh one thing about that I, I
3: learned from a friend of mine who had spent time in the psych ward that he had come under such tremendous oppression that things were terribly um, threatening to him in his vulnerability, including body body language and so on. And he said, anybody whose eyes physically came higher than his it felt like they were going to destroy him so even what Paul is saying there about she ends up washing his feet or if we could talk about the orientation of sort of submitting to him what are we doing there so it's a it's a it's a serving role from beneath right. instead of like the way that somebody uh, can feel a powerful presence hovering over them that will crush them, and so I, I think you, th- that comes out there. And and then we, we do come to this other character, Jackie, who is uh, working through working through her own issues.
2: There's a there's another piece to the washing of the feet that I think is really important, and that is the whole point <clears throat> is to clean off the dust of death, right? Mm. And yeah. and and it's to it's to expose that which is actually true and beautiful which is the humanness of the disciples in the washing of the feet right and so you've got the god of the universe who takes the position that is lowly in order to cleanse us of the things that have become impediments or damage or the dust of death in order to reveal so that's that i think david i think you know, you sense that her, her, um, desire is not to crush him, but to expose that, which is actually true. And, and it's great wisdom on her part, how she does that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, um, because when you're around vulnerable people, if you've got a, if you got an issue with being powerful, they're easy targets. And, and, and I think we need to say this. I think Brad and I both need to say this, is that we didn't write this aimed at pastors because we're mad at them in any kind of general sense. Mm-hmm. They're, e- they're kind of an easy target because they have notoriety within the, the the context of the faith world that we live. and And the system itself puts them in such a bind that, very often there are lots of secrets and hidden things and that which cannot be, it, it's not even allowed to come to the surface. Right. And so in a, in a sense, the a therapist in a mental health ward is a safer place than in the church,
3: right? Yeah, yeah. A, con- a confessor where confidentiality is honored. Mm-hmm. And where the doctor understands the role is for healing, it's not about controlling. It's not, and that all that all gets very confusing in a faith um, community at times.
1: Well, this book does have a very. You really do feel like you're you're kind of get exposed along with the main um, with the main character in. And that there was kind of another theme that sort of um appeared to me was sort of paying attention to the to how the people around you in life might be gifts to you in some way that in maybe some of the most unexpected people in your life might might be there to give you a gift that you 're not aware of and that's certainly the case in this um in this story because he has a very unlikely roommate that he meets uh, right at the very beginning and boy doesn't look this guy doesn't look like he has very much to offer um, when he first meets him
3: yeah he looks he looks like a hobo really uh, scraggly beard seems to be mute missing a hand for some mysterious reason yeah and sits around on a on his gurney rocking uh, playing with some worry beads. Yeah. And, and ends up shadowing him around. And it's, I, 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 I
2: love this character. Um, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and to, for your point about we're surrounded by gifts, we really are. And you know, it's some of those gifts are the ones that actually push our buttons, you know, that they can be the greatest gifts, but at the moment you think they're the greatest enemy mm-hmm. and, and because they're, they're moving us, they're exposing us. When somebody pushes your buttons, they're, they're creating heat that creates um, a space so that your impurities will come to the surface. So, so what we've done is we've turned the love of God, who is that fiery refiner's fire, into the enemy. We've done that you know we've turned this love that intends to heal into eternal conscious torment that's because we don't like we don't like being around the god who pushes our buttons not recognizing that in pushing our buttons he's moving us to a position where we can actually become whole but in the in the meantime we you you tend to defame you tend to abuse you tend to uh, act in anger that is, that is not good toward those who cause us to stumble in that sense. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so there's something really important about this. So when I go to work and, and there's that person who just bugs the crap out of me. And every time they do something, it causes me to go sideways and all that. That's the kind of gift we're talking about, you know, and, uh, and it's it's not just the wise person who does it right. It's the person who does it wrong. But in the midst of the way that they do it, it causes our stuff to show up.
1: Yeah, I think that that's bad, called... Is that a bad thing? I think it's called, a, you spot it, you got it.
3: <laughs>
1: you know, and I heard a, a guy was telling me one time about... Uh, he was at this presentation and this guy was just going on and, and uh, really, really, uh, you know, annoying him. And he was talking the guy in the presentation was talking about how he always tells the truth. You know, he just always tells the truth. And the thing that was uh, annoying was that it was causing him to think, you know, I don't tell the truth. I, You know, it just there's so many ways in which other people can bring to the surface things that we maybe don't want to uh that we don't want to deal with and, 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 and that to me, that's kind of what happens in, in a way this, in, in this novel. It's kind of like if you took a Christmas carol and you fired it up <laughs> yeah. and, and, and made it a lot hotter and a lot more personal, uh, scarier even uh this is a this is this is a, a real ride into the into the subconscious into the and you know into into what happens in in inner spaces
2: or what that's a really happen good way there. To put it that's a really good way to put it
1: um i hadn't
3: noticed it, but one of our voice actors who actually happens to be my son that played the jackie part in the audio book he mentioned that same parallel i i'd not seen it that this is this is a bit like i don't remember his exact words. <laughs>
0: But a Christmas it was,
3: Carol meets something. Yeah, it was definitely the, the Christmas Carol.
1: Nightmare you know, on Elm Street. I don't on, know. Something, <laughs> you know,
3: something on, like that. Yeah. On crack, you
1: know. <laughs> yeah. <a> Christmas <laughs> Carol on crack.
3: Yeah. Um, and, but but it's true, right? Because he he meets his past, he meets who he is. And it's a bit more than just past, present, and future. You've got these various characters coming forward to as part of his what did you call it, Paul, the transforming
2: exposure? Yeah. That's like a ma- amazing phrase. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I w- I've come to love this passage where Jesus says, many will say to me on that day that we preach the gospel and we, you know, healed the sick and we cast out demons. And I'll say to them, depart from me into everlasting fire, right? I don't even know you. And, and that, that passage scared me to death growing up. It was like, he's talking about all the stuff that we do. <laughs> and and I, I couldn't get my hands around that passage until, I don't know, uh, a couple years ago. And I suddenly realized, oh my goodness, you know what's going on here is that Jesus is declaring that he won't build a relationship with someone who doesn't exist. And, and we have created in, in our performance a persona, right? So this pastor has created a persona out of his devastation. He feels like he needs to be in ministry. That's what gives him identity and worth and value and significance and security and meaning and purpose and destiny and not much community but, and not much love. But the, the hope for it, and this is how he's performing to win the heart and the approval of God. And so, in this storyline, it's like Jesus says, I don't even know you. You know, you presented me your persona as if you think that your performance is a relationship. And so, I want that to be utterly destroyed with fire, eternally destroyed, that persona. So that, so that you and I can actually get to know each other. And and I think that sort of embodies this story. And it's like, uh, and one of the other pieces, and Brad and I have talked about this a lot, is that it addresses a couple questions. Is there anyone who is unhealable, beyond redemption? Or is there anyone who is, what's the other term we use, Brad?
3: Oh, um, is, is anyone beyond Healing. Forgiving for healing and beyond forgiveness, right? right? So you got the predator and the victim. Is right. is there any victim so victimized that there is no light left? No. no. <laughs> is there any predator so who's entered such darkness that there's no
2: light left? No. Is there uh, such a thing as a person who's irredeemable? Right, right. And 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 our answer is no, absolutely not. But the journey out of the damage, that's health.
1: Yeah and it and it was a gradual deconstruction for this uh for a- this after
2: after the first wall that he hit yeah the right. mo- the
1: melt the meltdown
3: wasn't so gradual and actually right. the second the second meltdown that sent him into lockup was not right. so gradual but you you right. could say it was staged right we have staged yeah. um and and yes it's a, a journey and and in reality a lifelong journey but the lifelong journey includes waypoints and on those waypoints maybe we built our we build our ebenezer right our altar of remembrance mm-hmm. um, that mark that mark a, a hinge in the in the journey of some sort but
1: i know uh, richard Rohr talks uh talks about the uh, false self and the true self he's not the only one that uses that kind of language but It seemed to me that there's some of that going on here—the false self and the true self—and that he'd built, for various reasons, he'd built up kind of a false self, Paul, what you called a persona, Mm -hmm. and that had to be, and that had to be sort of that had to be ground away through the process. If you could call it, maybe judgment, is what that does. Is it? Is it tears that edifice down?
2: And here's here's an interesting thing. It's not God who tears the edifice down. I mean, we, <clears throat> we build our own house of cards, right? If, if we're going to create something false, there is something within that that is still alive, and that will constantly be pushing us away from the false and towards the true. And that will knock down the false edifice. It, it will. And so it's not like, oh, look how God has judged him. No, this is the judgment that comes from the clash between who he truly is that's hidden under all this deception and self-referential incoherence, this persona, the clash between that which is true and that which is false that he is adapted to. Mm -hmm. And and so there is, it's, but we want to just say, well, see, God's judging him. I I heard this language being used recently for Robbie Zacharias, right? That he, he had back trouble because that's God was trying to warn him so God struck him with back trouble and then God struck him with heart problems in order to try to warn him more right so God becomes the author of evil and we end up with God using evil and justifying evil because it's a good it's a means to a good end and and our Brad and I I think absolutely abhor that yeah that God never uses, he is never the author of evil. He, there is no darkness in God at all.
1: Yeah, in him there is light and no darkness at all. That's a passage of scripture.
2: Yeah, and so this is not a God who uses evil as a means to an end. But he will climb into the evil that we have um, impacted our own lives and those around us with. And, and the presence of that light will, will, will also reveal the darkness but we don't get healed apart from our participation either. This is not some form of magic here. And for those who read about we really encourage people to listen to the audiobook because it's so incredibly well done with a bunch of voice actors and and uh, but for any of you who, who go through the journey of this little novella these characters are real people they're composites of real people and and real situations and some of the language and some of the phrases and some of the words themselves are taken right out of emails and text messages from very real people and so Mm -hmm. and we're not trying to do this to shock anybody some of it's shocking but it's never gratuitous it's it's real life i mean i have two of my dear 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 cousins both took their own lives because of mental illness both struggled with schizophrenia and and one had the addition of of real intense narcissistic uh personality disorder too and um and and their father took his life on the same day as my cousin uh, one of my cousins and then um and so it's not like we live in a world that has not been touched by this and we're looking from some ivory religious tower to have a conversation about this. The, the responses that we've already gotten from this novella have been so beautiful because it's engaged people inside places where they didn't think anybody could see them. And, and in these words, they, they not only feel seen but they sense the presence of God.
1: Well, it's very dramatic. the the the, the place where we get taken. Um, I think the probably the one of the big questions that I dealt with in my life is is can I believe that there is somebody worth trusting at the center of all of this? Uh, can can I believe that there is a good God who actually loves us? And it wasn't until I came to truly believe that, um, and that this God was truly with me, that I could begin to to that I could begin to flourish. And that first started when I, I came across the writings of C.S. Lewis and the you know and the Aslan character. And then and then as I just kept going forward, and you know the personification of of uh, Papa in the shack, you know that was a that's a very powerful. That's somebody that you, that you can feel like you could trust. Uh, that to be around the Dr. Angelica, Hope, you know, in this novel is someone who, who is who is supremely good in her dealing, uh, with with all of these things. And so, there's. Can you just say something about how you all have both come to the conclusion that there is that God truly is good, that God truly is with us, even when we go into that that deepest, darkest pit, because you have described a very, very deep and dark pit in this novella, and we find that that God is not absent, that God is, is present in even the darkest moment.
3: Well, we wouldn't have dared write that if we hadn't experienced it ourselves in unique ways, right? Like uh, the that- that um my conclusion that god is good was not worked out in a theology department office you know it was worked out in in my version of of gehenna certainly for paul that's true as well and so then only then can it have a ring of truth and authority is that this is this has been our experience of god
2: yeah. So, and trust is trust is the big deal here. You you can't trust that you anybody that you don't believe is good and loves you. Not not in any fundamental sense. You trust is a hard thing for those of us who've experienced trauma. You know, uh, especially at the hands of men and women. I know some out there that are listening. I mean, you know they were trafficked they were betrayed by women in their lives they were abused by the men in their lives mm-hmm. and and this issue of trust you know even if you hate yourself at least you trust yourself more than you trust other people you know and so it's it's back to your own resources but fundamentally at the core of all that is the lie that you're alone and that is a central lie that permeates this novella in in the case of the pastor, and um, and you know, and he 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 has to come to the place where he's willing to take the risk of trust, and that's a that's the journey for most of us. Most of us, we give lip service to trust, but mm-hmm. we find our ways to survive.
1: Well, there's you know? a certain way in which uh, you can kind of experience. I don't know. Find the truth. Uh, uh, through sort of a logical, through kind of a logical process, but then there's another way in which story and narrative kind yeah. of. Kind the logical
2: of, process for people who think they're smart is is a survival skill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it it's it's very non relational. It's like, yeah. you know, I, I I can I can bow my head, but the rest of me is is really in trouble and um yeah so uh, i I just love the way that
1: yeah that you guys bring us care that you have uh, brought characters now i've never written a work of fiction before and brad i'm getting the idea that this is maybe your first sort of foray into this because your books up to this point you know have been more the kind of reason (laughs) logic kinds of books and now you present us with this very dramatic a story. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, w- I probably wouldn't distinguish it between reason
3: and logic versus a novel. I would say it this way that it's because we, I've done a lot of storytelling. Yeah, and uh, you've f- written children's books, and I've done some children's books and all that. So it it is, it was fiction versus nonfiction. Let's put it that way. Okay. Yeah. And um, what prepared me for fiction writing uh, uh, at an entry level was the storytelling background so it's okay. like well if I can tell us a, a, a dramatic true story in a nonfiction book then I can also tell a dramatic true story in a fiction book but I better have a mentor who helps me do it with some experience I think my yeah. claim to fame <clears throat> is that I'm gonna is is that I'm gonna take someone who sells 25 million copies of a book and co-author a book that doesn't. But oh well
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry no, we, to bring
3: you down there, Paul, but yeah. oh, no, no, no problem
2: at all. You know. Well But uh, I mean, what are you gonna do?
1: Well yeah. I get the sense that Paul Paul doesn't Paul doesn't have any idea what's gonna happen with his books. He just writes them.
2: None at all. That's <laughs> exactly right. And that's you, been something too that I've appreciated about
1: you yeah, about about you, Paul, is that uh, You know, somebody might say you write a book that sells that ends up selling 23 million copies. You you don't need to write anything else, you know, because how are you ever going to top that? But the thing to me that's been interesting about you is that, no, you keep on. You know, the the point is to keep sharing what you have. And it's I really don't think that the point for you is how many books is this going to sell? I don't think that's ever been the point for you.
2: I never intended to publish it. So you know when i made the 15 copies at office depot it did everything i ever wanted it to do i mean right so i i never wrote it to sell and uh and i don't write anything to sell um that's not the intention if if it sells great if that's if that's one of the ways that you know god supports us financially great but if if the holy spirit says you know give every cent away great i'm um, it's just part of however this thing unfolds but no I never intended to sell books with that and I don't intend to sell books with the pastor a crisis what what holy ground that Brad and I get to walk on as a result of participating in this together you can't put a price on that or a value on that in any kind of monetary sense you know that's where the real action is that's you know, you, you you get a response, and Brad will send send me a note and say, "We just got this as a response from the book, and mm-hmm. and it has backstory to it, and it's just like, how how are we so blessed to be able to walk on the holy ground of other people's stories like this?"
3: That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, if it, if it was about. Um, seeing God's provision well that's already done we, we, so now we can move on with the fun stuff and the fun stuff is like we, you know the one text we got from someone in the middle of a run anorexic woman who hated herself and would punish herself by, by doing a marathon after having two cookies you know that kind of thing and then she writes and she, she says at first I hate this pastor and then I loved him and then I realized could I love me I mean, if she could and she, she had she's having to deal with um, the way her inner punisher has abused her. You know, she's internalized this. And now what if what if she could forgive herself? And, you know, this is in the middle of, uh, you know, as of someone who's who's sobbing as they're listening to the audiobook during a marathon. And, oh and they they, were, they okay. oh
1: they listened to it while they were punishing oh, running. themselves yep. running in a marathon
3: yeah their own private marathon yeah of isolation alienation self-hatred
1: okay. and it was
3: but deliberately running but physically running physically running well, they were
1: physically running yeah
3: deliberately punitive you know and 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 so then talk about now what did you what's that phrase you use i it wouldn't hurt if you defined it a little for listeners paul the self
2: referential incoherence.
3: incoherence what do you mean by that cuz i think that comes in here
2: yeah that just means that, that you determine reality only within your isolation right so it's self referential incoherence you're you're just talking to yourself uh, and this is why we don't like confession then we've got to actually open up ourselves to someone else and it's no longer self-referential. I can always end up being either the villain or the hero in any kind of self-referential kind of way like any I was talking to somebody yesterday about the fact that we're all screenwriters directors and producers right we create these movies in our minds And we think this is how things are going to work out. And then we get mad at the actors we hired because they're not doing what we thought they should do because we wrote the script. (laughs) And they're not following the script. And so, you know, that's why we like to keep in our isolation because then, you know, then we can either be our own judge or our our own savior. And it's self-referential incoherence. It is... I got that from Baxter. That line, Baxter Kruger, and um, and I I adopted it. But it's I think it's very applicable to this.
1: Yeah. Well, that's... I think that uh, there's so much that 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 you really get into in this. Um, I think this this book also has a way of, of of starting lots of conversations. You know, it just it opens up. It opens up. Uh, a lot of things too. It doesn't just nail things down, but it it brings a lot of stuff to the surface. It opens up a lot of um, a lot of good conversations, conversations that we need to have. Well, I, I just I just wanted to have some time to talk with you about this book because it's it's out recently, and um, and I hope that people will uh, will get it. and And you can get a it's on Kindle. You can get the the paperback or, or hardback version of it. And say just a little bit more about the uh, the audio the audio version because it seems to have been really powerful for people.
3: Yeah, what happened is we we were um, I have a relationship with a guy named Boyd Barrett, and uh, long before the book came out, he actually asked, "Would you let me uh, be part of this project if it ever goes to audiobook?" And he sent me a little sample of how he would do the first chapter, and I was just smitten and so um so we sent the we sent the script or the book to him and then because we're in a covid situation um he's discovered that he can produce an audiobook with actors from all over the world and he said what if instead of me just narrating this book that we actually put a full cast together and um and he was able you know sideline is he was able to do it ridiculously cheaply because a lot of the characters only take you know two minutes but he he did it as a labor of love and he poured a lot of um time into finding the right people who could express the heart of the characters and this was what blew paul and i away and i you know he said when he, the first time he listened to the audiobook, he wept through the last hour. I'm like, how is this possible? And how how he explained it that I now really see clearly is that um, when I read a book, the characters as they play out in my head are limited by my imagination. Mm-hmm. But now you've got these other people with their own experiences. I, I mean, I, do, I would love to meet the woman who played Sage because. She just, she, she went, she took it to places I couldn't imagine. And the other thing is, we it's a wonderful woman who actually was the backstory for the character of Sage. Um, in some ways, this actor was able to channel her spirit, but it was more than that even, because she was bringing her own story mm-hmm. into it somehow. And now we're here feeling the intensity of whatever she's using as her motivation and, and, and the characters absolutely came alive. So both Paul and I are like huge proponents of like, sure, get the book, but get the audiobook first. And it's, it's, it's like watching a movie in your head and, and um,
1: yeah. So maybe to- if you're, if you're trying to think about, I'm going to get one or the other. You know, maybe oh, go audiobook first. Audio
3: first. Definitely, and you can get that on Audible or on Amazon or where you know. Um, and and it, it is
2: it's worth your time. It takes it's a novella, so it's it's not like a full length novel. It takes about three and a half hours to listen to it.
1: Yeah, and, and I was uh, and I was a little surprised I when I read could. it when I read it. Yeah, that the uh, that it, it it wasn't when I when I set in to start reading it. I was I don't know what I expected. But I thought I was reading a longer a longer novel, and then it kind of it's like oh okay well we're kind of wasn't that it wasn't powerful, but again again kind of like a Christmas Carol, you know that that book is not very long either, but it's it's very powerful as well, and so it's yeah it's not like you're it's not like you're going to be listening to a 15 hour uh, audio an audio book of this, right. so it works well it it's, it's the right length to work well for this kind of uh, dramatic presentation.
3: Yeah. Yep.
1: Well, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on and, and, uh, and talking about this. I hope we've, we've given our listeners uh, enough to get interested in it and to, uh, and, and to, I'll say go on the ride because it's, it's quite, um, it's quite an emotional, journey and we meet some really interesting characters and there's a lot of interesting surprises along the way. So I hope everybody I hope everybody takes the time to uh, to look into this novella and go on another interesting journey and uh, blessings to both of you guys and thanks so much for taking the time to visit with us today. Our pleasure. Our honor. Okay. All right. Talk to you guys Thank later. You.
0: Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.